Hey everybody, it's Lon Seidman. It's time once again for your weekly wrap-up. And this week I thought we would do something a little lighter and talk about some of my favorite Star Wars games over the years in the hopes that maybe you'll recommend some others to me that I might have missed. So let's get to it. Now, what inspired the video today was a website that I stumbled across called Cheese Talks to Himself About Star Wars Games. This was one of those weekend browsing sessions where I was trying to figure out when a certain game that I like to play was released. And of course, somebody out there always has the answer to your question in the 21st century on the web. And this is actually a really cool website because he details every single officially released Star Wars game from the beginning here in 1982 all the way to 2017. It doesn't have anything after 2017, but I think for chronicling the timeline of Star Wars games in the past, this is really useful. And then he even goes further than just putting the release date out. He's got every platform that it was released on, uh, whether or not it falls into the Star Wars canon officially, which side you play on, who appears in the game, whether or not there are Jedis in the game. It's a really cool uh, synopsis here of every game ever created. And what I thought I would do as I was going through this is take a look at all of the games that I liked from this list and tell you about them, because in many cases, I am still playing these games every once in a while today. And this, of course, will not be an inclusive list. I have played more Star Wars games than I am listing because I'm really looking at the ones that had a lasting impact with me. And again, I'm hoping to hear from some of you as to some games that I should try, given what you're going to see about my tastes as we roll forward here. Now, the first game on my list is also the first official Star Wars game ever released, apparently, at least according to that chronology which is Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back. This came out for the Atari 2600 in 1982, and I had this game. My parents must have saw it in the store and thought I would like it, and I sure as heck did. To this day, I am still playing this game every once in a while on one of my emulators or on the Mister. And this is what it looked like. You're basically in a little snowspeeder here trying to take out the Imperial Walkers, and you have to shoot them a number of times. They change color, and then when they change to yellow, they're about dead. And then, of course, you hit them a few more times and they explode. You'll see these little blinking dots appear from time to time, and those are like a weak point. And if you hit one of those, they blow up immediately. You can also repair your ship when it gets hit. I think it can do that two or three times. As you'll see here, I ran out of repair slots there. And there you can see me hitting one of the uh, blinking dots on that. And that's all this game is. It just continues over and over again. The walkers never stop coming. Uh, but you can, of course, push them back and just keep going. And, of course, the objective is to rack up a high score. Now there's one other thing that you can do in this game, which is get the force. And that would happen kind of randomly uh, throughout the game where you would be invincible for a short period of time and it plays the Star Wars theme song. Have a listen. Now what I love about this game is its simplicity, but also the controls are incredibly tight and responsive. And of course, this is a game that you're gonna wanna really play on a CRT to get the best experience. And remember, we were using those Atari joysticks back then, and this game was really well designed for that control surface. It was a lot of fun. Now, this next game, of course, needs no introduction, which is the Star Wars arcade game. I first played this when I was probably seven or eight years old at a arcade in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I remember it well. It was one of these quintessential 80s mega arcades. It looked like a castle. You walked inside, the place was flooded with teenagers, and they had probably about five or six of every hot game you could imagine. So I was actually able to get some time 
on the Star Wars arcade game, which I couldn't get at home at my local arcade because they just had one and I was a little kid. And this, of course, was a vector uh, game where you would attack the Death Star in an X-Wing fighter. The graphics for the time were amazing. They were using vectors uh, to get the frame rate here. And it kind of gave you a real sense of flying around in an X-Wing fighter. You didn't have a lot of freedom of movement, but you had some. And what it did is it took you through a dogfight with TIE fighters, and then you had to take out the towers here, and then you did the trench run. Uh, They had a sit-down version of it as well, as you can see here. And what was really remarkable about it, beyond its graphics and frame rate, was the digitized voices. Have a listen. Luke, trust me. I'm hit, but not bad. R2, do you want to do with it? Yahoo! You're all clear, kid! So not a lot of depth to the gameplay. After you blew up the Death Star, you just started all over again. But it was really a cool game for its time and one that had a lasting impression and one that I play every once in a while. Now, I do not own this, but you can buy a replica cabinet from Arcade 1-Up, and they even replicated the flight yoke that was in the original arcade title. I've seen this at a couple of uh, shows that I've been to. It's really cool, so if you're a big fan of that game, I think you might want to check that out. Now, the next game in the lineup here is one that's not so great, but I kind of liked it as a kid. Uh, This is called Return of the Jedi on the Atari 2600, the Death Star Battle. This was released right when the movie came out that year. And as a seven-year-old who could think about nothing other than Return of the Jedi after that movie hit theaters, I saw it nine times in the movie theater, I had to get this game, and I played quite a bit of it. And every once in a while, I revisit it. I'm going to show you screenshots in a second, but just be warned that there is some flashing that's going to appear. So if you're sensitive to flashing, you might want to skip ahead to the next game. So let's take a look at it. Not much to it. You fight off TIE fighters. You wait for a hole in the shield. You fly through the hole. And then you go and attack the Death Star. And to attack the Death Star, what you do is you just kind of shoot away uh, at the blocks there, as you can see. Now, that green dot is the uh, Death Star's death ray, which I'll show you in a second. Uh, But when you hit the reactor, the Death Star explodes, you get a flash, and then you're right back to where you started from. Now, after a while, that green beam will activate. And what it will do is uh, destroy you, basically, if you get too close to it. And later in the game, it will actually appear uh, at the uh, screen here. So it can actually get you from behind the shield if you let it sit long enough. Kind of a repetitive game again like the other one, but there is at least one more screen to play through versus The Empire Strikes Back that was a single screen. But for us kids who did not have any way to really experience Star Wars in a video game at that point, this was the closest we would get for a long time to a true Return of the Jedi space battle. Now this will surprise a lot of you, but I went an entire 10 years before I found another Star Wars game that I actually wanted to play. And there's a couple of reasons for this. The first is that All of those Super Star Wars games on the Super Nintendo were on the Super Nintendo, and I had that Sega Genesis back there and no Super Nintendo. So I never actually played those games until I got to college in the mid-90s. But what I did play a lot of was this one in 1993 called X-Wing. This was really in kind of the golden era of PC gaming, I guess the original golden era, uh, where the PCs with their VGA graphics could finally start getting close to replicating the experience of these films. And LucasArts, which was a a software division of Lucasfilm, was looking at popular game genres and ways that they could put Star Wars into those proven formulas. And X-Wing was a combat spaceflight simulator that 
in some ways was kind of like Wing Commander, but better in many other ways because it was Star Wars and because they took a lot of effort to get you thinking about what it would be like to pilot one of these spaceships. And of course, like all PC games at the time, you had these awesome hand-drawn animations that would act as cutscenes. And then of course, the actual gameplay looked amazing for the time. Now what they did was they kind of ran with uh, flat shaded polygons here for the TIE fighters and some of the other ships that you encountered. So they looked a little better than the like really pixelated uh, bitmaps that they were using in Wing Commander at the time. So there was a bit of a graphical edge here. It didn't have the arcade feel that I liked, but it was a lot of fun to learn the ins and outs of flying a uh, X-Wing fighter and all the different missions that you might have to go on here. And all in, it was just a really cool space combat simulator that of course led to a lot of sequels. And you can still buy this game right now on Steam and run it on your modern PC. Now LucasArts continued the strategy of focusing on popular PC genres to make new games in. And Dark Forces was inspired of course by Doom and other first person shooters at the time. But this was no Doom clone. This was an exceptionally well done first person shooter set in the Star Wars universe. You get all the Star Wars weapons, you're shooting at stormtroopers and Imperial officers and everything. It really had a Star Wars look and feel to it. I had a lot of fun playing with this one back in the day. It was quite a game for its time and of course led to other sequels as well. Now this next game was Rebel Assault 2, which came out in 1995. And this was LucasArts second attempt at trying to come up with a playable full motion video title, which was of course a popular genre back in the early to mid 90s. All of those CD-ROM consoles had a bunch of those full motion video games like Night Trap and others. None of them were very fun and this one was no exception to the rule. Now this was the second game in the series. The first one wasn't very good at all. Although the first version did have full motion video, it was all computer generated. It didn't look all that good. So here, they actually hired live actors, put them in legitimate Star Wars costumes, and it looked pretty convincing. It almost looked like what a Star Wars TV show would have looked like at the time. And that part was why I played it. I was really uh, excited to see new Star Wars footage for the first time since I was a kid. I think they might have shot some footage for uh, the Star Tours ride at Disney World, but for the most part, uh, this was the most extensive Star Wars shoot that had happened since the early 80s in Return of the Jedi. And that's what got me into this game. But like the first one, it was pretty much an on-rail shooter where you had a full motion video playing. There was some small degree of movement you could do. And basically what you were doing was just shooting sprites that were projected on top of the full motion video. And clearly they were trying to get this out on as many platforms as possible. So you can probably find this on the PlayStation, on pretty much any CD-ROM console of the time, although I don't think it made it to the Turbo Graphics or PC engine. Now, they had a space fighting component like you see here, and then they also had these on-foot components, which were really bad, um, but they did have like legit stormtroopers, which was pretty cool. So what would happen here is you'd have a video cutscene, it would then cut to a more uh, playable or sort of playable portion here where you had to just almost do quick time events to take out the stormtroopers, which were digitized sprites uh, on this background. So it wasn't great, but it was something that I enjoyed for the cutscenes back in the day and something that I did have some fond memories playing through. The next one is 
Star Wars Shadow of the Empire, which came out in 1996 on the Nintendo 64. And this was a game that came out very close to the launch date of the Nintendo 64. When we found one for my brother, they were very hard consoles to find at the time. Uh, this game was out already, and we picked this up along with the Mario 64 cartridge, of course. And what I loved about it was just how good it looked for the time. Look at the detail on the snow speeder. As you're banking, you can see its ailerons kind of popping up there and stuff. It just had all of the 3D that you expected from one of these next generation consoles at the time. Uh, the game had a bunch of different types of levels. This was the opening level that I played the most because it was just a really well executed version of the Hoth battle from The Empire Strikes Back. I thought they did a great job with this. There were some on foot components that I wasn't crazy about. They tried to mix a lot of different types of gameplay into it. I don't think it worked everywhere, um, but these scenes, especially with the uh, snow speeders, were very fondly remembered. Now this game I acquired around the same time my brother got his Nintendo 64, but it came out a little bit earlier, and that is Star Wars Arcade on the Sega 32X. And partly why I love this game is that it was a complete surprise to me. Uh, what happened was back around 1996 or 97, they started liquidating the Sega 32X consoles. I got mine for like 30 bucks and the games were really cheap. So I was surprised that there was even a Star Wars game available for it. I hadn't been following it. And I think this was probably the first Star Wars game that you could get on a Sega console at the time. And it actually wasn't bad. It used probably more of the 32X than many of the other 32X titles did. It wasn't some reboot of a 16-bit title with a few better graphic improvements. It was incorporating you know, 3D polygonal graphics and ran at a good frame rate. I guess there was an arcade version of this as well that I had never seen before, um, but it was a lot of fun. It kind of captured some of that arcade feel of that Atari 2600 arcade title back in the day, but it had much greater freedom of movement. And this one is one that doesn't have a lot of depth to its gameplay, but it does look good and it plays pretty good for the time. And I think if there were more games like this on the 32X when it launched, it might have lived a little longer than it ended up living. Now this next one is a super deep cut. This came out in 97. This is called Yoda Stories. Now remember back in 97, computers were not all that powerful. So when you played a game, the game was taking up everything that that computer could give you. And there was apparently a market that LucasArts thought was there for more casual games that you could run in Windows alongside other things. And that's what this game was designed to be, kind of like the Star Wars version of Solitaire. I had it booted up in a virtual machine to uh, demonstrate it to you here, and it ran in a very small window. But at the time, if you were running at an 800 by 600 resolution or something, this would take up a lot more screen real estate. Now this game was not super fast action or anything, it was like a little puzzle game, but it was procedurally generated. So every time you played it, you had a different game. They had a few set locations that you would encounter. There was a desert, there was a Dagobah kind of planet, and then there was a Hoth-like planet. But the game was infinitely replayable because every gameplay session had some new objective and a completely new map, and it was something that I actually liked having when I was in college. I'd have it kind of running in the background when I was working on papers, and when I took a break, it was fun to play through a round or two and just 
uh, get my mind reset for finishing up the paper that I was procrastinating on. Probably wouldn't hold up very well today. There was a Game Boy version of this as well. Now this next title is my favorite Star Wars game of all time to this day. It has yet to be replaced, although one game we'll talk about a little later is getting close. And that of course is Rogue Leader Rogue Squadron 2 on the GameCube. This was a launch title on the GameCube, and this is why I bought a GameCube over the Xbox and the PS2, because the GameCube was the only console with this game. And from the screenshots I was seeing and some of the early videos of it on the internet, I knew that this was a game that I had to have, and it was. In fact, I went to Walmart uh, very early in the morning to get my GameCube and this game when it first came out. I was there day one. This game did not disappoint. Now what you're looking at here is the game running on the Dolphin emulator. Uh, this game is beloved by fans and there are HD texture packs available to make it look good in high definition if you are running it on Dolphin, which I'm doing here. And it was just a fun, awesome space fighter game, the one I've been waiting for my entire life. And no one's done better than this. There's a couple that are coming close, uh, but this one still for me is my top favorite. And what I like about it is that they squeezed in all of the major space battles from the original trilogy and then added a few more that they kind of pontificated would have happened between the films. Uh, here we're going into the Death Star, so you can actually play the last scene of Return of the Jedi in addition to the space battle that preceded it. It just looks spectacular, doesn't it? Now granted, we do have those HD textures running here, but I remember this looking just as good on my CRT television uh, back in 2001 when I first got it. This level was really difficult. I never got through it. <laughs> to this day, I still haven't finished the darn game, but I am planning to do that at some point. We might do a live stream as we're playing through that game. But man, what an awesome experience and one that I don't think has quite been topped yet. Now, the next one is one that I was dying to play for a number of years since it came out in 2014 and that is Star Wars Battle Pod. I finally got a chance to play it on one of my CES trips to Vegas. This cabinet, I think, costs like $25,000. It is super expensive. There's no home version available. What it consists of is a wraparound screen, and it has like a dome to it, so it's kind of all enveloping. It's not quite virtual reality, but it fills your field of vision as you're playing. The game looks great. There's no depth to the gameplay, though. It is almost on rails completely. It kind of just flies you around and you shoot at the TIE Fighters. But I found it to be a ton of fun. And if I had more money, I would have played for longer because it's super expensive uh, for each gameplay session that you have with it. Now, there are some people on some of the emulation forums that I follow who have managed to get this working with TechnoParrot in VR with an Oculus headset. There's a lot of things you have to kind of connect together to make it work. But this would be a great title I would love to see released on PC VR because it looks like it's pretty much done. Uh, it's just a matter of getting it to be ported to a PC. And if TechnoParrot is any indicator, you can run it pretty well in emulation. So maybe after a couple more years of this thing being out there, they'll come up with a home version. This would be a lot of fun to play. Just don't uh, expect a lot of depth to the gameplay and you'll have a great time with it. Now this next one is a VR experience that unfortunately is no more. It was called The Void and this was going to be a franchise of VR experience locations that would allow you to jump into uh, popular movie franchises and live out an experience in full immersive VR. And what this let you do is actually walk through an environment with other people and everything that you could touch or feel was actually mapped in the game. It was pretty remarkable how well it was put together. 
I tried it out back in 2019 when we covered the Falcon Heavy launch down in Florida. My friend Antonio came with me to help me shoot that video, and we had an extra day, so we went to Disney World. Uh, we went over to Disney Springs where the Void was located. Basically what they do is they strap a gaming PC to your back. You've got an Oculus-class headset along with some really loud headphones, and they would uh, let you walk through this world. You eventually pick up a blaster and start shooting at stormtroopers. And again, everything you can feel and touch was rendered in the game, and it was a really cool VR experience. This is the back of the backpack. Unfortunately, the void did not survive the pandemic. They shut down in March of 2020. I don't think they've come back yet, but if they do and you like Star Wars, this is definitely something to try because it was exceptionally well done, especially because you have total free movement within the space that they uh, have for this experience. Really cool stuff. Now this next one really surprised me. This is Vader Immortal, and this came out when the Oculus Quest launched in 2019. This will run standalone on your Quest headset. There are three different episodes to it. I've played through the first one, and I'll tell you what, I was really blown away by this because the Oculus Quest is not a powerful piece of hardware, but the levels that they put together here are exceptionally detailed for that hardware. And even more surprising is that if you have a large area to play in, you can walk around pretty much freely in these environments. It's really, really good. And if you are a fan of Star Wars, a fan of lightsabers, a fan of Darth Vader, this is something you definitely should pick up. Lots of fun. Definitely check it out if you are into VR and Star Wars. And last but not least, we've got Star Wars Squadrons. This one comes very close to dethroning Rogue Squadron 2 as my favorite Star Wars game of all time. What's awesome about this is that it's not very expensive. If you have Game Pass or that EA thing, you've got it already. It's on those services. And there's a VR mode to it. So if you want to play it in VR, you put your headset on and you've got an incredibly immersive experience. You can fly TIE fighters and X-Wings and pretty much most of the popular space fighters of the Star Wars original trilogy. My only gripe with it is that they should come up with some DLC where you can fight some of the classic space battles in a single player mode. It does have a very fun single player aspect. The emphasis here is more on multiplayer, but it's lacking those space battles that uh, Rogue Squadron 2 had on the GameCube. And I would actually pay the full value of this game, which was like 30 bucks or more, uh, if they were to come up with another single-player campaign that would take you through some of those missions, because I think that would be a ton of fun, especially given how good this game engine is. And if you got VR, you got to try it, because it is just a super fun space fighter game, and by far the best I have seen on any platform, with the exception of those space battles that are missing. It kind of feels like a mix between an arcade shooter and what X-Wing and TIE Fighter brought to us back in the early PC days. It does have some simulation aspects to it, but there is an arcade feel to it at the same time. Lots of fun, although I do suggest getting a throttle and stick, a HOTAS setup for the best experience. You can play it with the Xbox controller, but it doesn't feel as good as a stick and throttle might. So that's a look at my favorite Star Wars games. I think you have a feel for what I like, which are the arcade Space Fighter games, but I would love to hear what games you like down in the comments below, because I am sure I am missing some really awesome Star Wars games that I've never tried. So put your recommendations down there. I'd love to hear uh, what games you're nostalgic for as well, and maybe I'll check some out in a future live stream or video. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. 
Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Now, this week's wrap-up is being brought to you by all of you. I wanted to thank first our Super Chatters this week, Logi KGR and Eric's Variety Channel. Both of them contributed during one of my live streams the other day. We also have some new supporters here on the channel, including Jim Tannis, who's our newest Gold Level supporter. He contributed via Patreon. Ken Connolly contributed via our Donor Box page. Ridwan Gasol contributed via the YouTube Membership Program. And Lauren Reneckles contributed via Patreon. I want to thank everyone who contributed this week and everyone who's been contributing on an ongoing basis and all of you who watch on a regular basis too because all of those things together equal channel growth. We will be updating the end credits very shortly. There's a bug on the YouTube studio that's preventing me from pulling out the full list of recent Super Chat contributors. So as soon as they fix that, I'll be able to get that done and we'll refresh the end credits. But I want to thank you all for your patience and your support if you've been looking for your name up at the end of these videos. It will be there shortly. Now, if you want to support the channel, you can. As you heard, we support a number of different platforms, including our own donor box page at lon.tv support. But we also support the YouTube membership program with that join button down below. We also work with Floatplane and Patreon. And you can also find me in other places, including Amazon at lon.tv slash Amazon shop, where most of my videos appear ad-free. And you can also check out some of the other places that I upload content to on the list you see on screen here. You can engage with the channel through my very infrequent email list at lon.tv slash email. We've got a Facebook group and a Discord now. I'm going to try to get into both of those a little more often, but we do have some great moderators helping out in both places. And then, of course, we've got my store where I sell previously used items that we had for review here on the channel. Now, if you want to get notified every time we update the store, you can go to lon.tv slash store alert, and you will get an email every time I do add something. And I've got a pile of stuff now. I don't even remember half of the things that I still have to get rid of. So if there was something you've seen in a recent video, if I'm able to sell it, I will do my best to make a good deal for you. So send me an email of what you're interested in and I'll see if I still have it. A lot of these things came in on loan from the manufacturers, so I can't sell those things, but uh, do let me know what you're looking for. And if I've got it somewhere in this mess, I will be happy to try to make a deal for you, but I will try to list some more things on the store in the coming weeks. And that is going to do it for this week's weekly wrap up. Thank you all for your continued support of the channel. I thought this topic might be a more fun and lighter topic versus some of the heavier stuff we have been talking about the last couple of weeks. That's going to do it for now. Until next time, this is Lon Seidman. Thanks for watching. This channel is brought to you by the Lon.TV supporters, including Gold Level supporters Chris Allegretta, Tom Albrecht, Jim Callagher, Hot Sauce and Video Games, and Brian Parker. If you want to help the channel, you can by contributing as little as a dollar a month.
Head over to lon.tv support to learn more. And don't forget to subscribe. Visit lon.tv slash s.